last time you sat through the credits all the way to the end of a movie? And I don't mean just to see the bonus scene at the end, we all do that. I mean, when is the last time you actually read the credits all the way to the end? It's pretty remarkable, actually. I mean, take this film, for example. Uh, four writers, 14 producers, 188 cast members, 72 stunt people. It took 44 hair and makeup stylists and 89 employees and wardrobe to make them look the part. There are 83 in the sound department, 161 camera and electrical engineers, 427 members in the art department, and over 1,500 worked in visual and special effects. And musicians, well, there are 84 on the payroll, but there is only one, John Williams. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Then you add in the transportation department, the chefs, the personal trainers, security team, and you realize it took upwards of 4,000 individual people with a number of diverse gifts to bring you one film, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Yeah, that's impressive, that's impressive. But maybe, maybe you're not into Star Wars, and that's fine. Although how in the world you are denying this particular little face, I do not know. <sighs> He's got me. Uh, but but let, me, let me bring this a little closer to home, or at least a little closer to my home. I had just returned to college after a year-long internship. A year long. 10 out of 10, do not recommend. I uh, loved my internship, I learned a ton, but I found it really, really hard to get back in the swing of things. So hard, in fact, that I found myself staring at my computer screen day after day, but not writing anything, poring over pages of books, but not comprehending anything. And so as you might imagine, my grades took quite a hit that semester. And at the end of the semester, I got the letter. I was on academic probation. I know. Self-disclosure, Brother Mark, this better not get me fired. Okay, so here's the deal. I had only ever received one C in my entire life, and that almost killed me. So you need to know, I was wrecked over this. And I knew that I had to turn it around, but how? Well, some of you are gonna hate me for this. Then I met this boy. <laughs> yeah, and he was kind of a nerd, but he was like a really cute nerd. So we started hanging out. Um, the thing is, this boy only liked to do one thing, and that was study. And so while everybody else was hanging out in dorm lobbies, we hung out in the Seth Wilson Library. But, good news, happy endings. At the end of that semester, I got another letter, but this time, I made the dean's list. Yeah. Nerdy boyfriends for the win. <laughs> hey, but just so we're clear here, I was not the only one who made some adaptations that year, okay? Um, sometime mid-semester, one of the guys from Michael's dorm floor, Eric Epperson, uh, came and found me in said library and asked to shake my hand. And when I asked him why, he said, because my friend Michael never left his room before he met you. And now, dare I say it, he's kind of fun. So I said, you're welcome. And then he said, please never leave. He needs you in his, in his life. And I said, I know. And then, um, and then Michael said something like, will you marry me? And I said, of course. And so as you can tell, nothing's really changed around here in 20 years. <laughs> That's how that goes. So, so Michael and I, um, we're, we're pretty different. 
We're pretty different. And those of you that have had us for classes, you probably know this, you're well aware of our differences. And that little story doesn't even begin to highlight the differences. I mean, he's an introvert, I'm an extrovert. He prefers the beach, I like the mountains. He grew up in the hood, I grew up on the farm. He's a whole lot of Tupac, I'm a little Shania Twain, okay. <laughs> no, you guys, you don't understand. I drink my milk straight from the cow. Homeboy over here is lactose intolerant, okay? Like, yeah. The differences go on and on. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. At first, we really struggled with our differences. We did. We, we had a hard time figuring out how to be ourselves and yet be one. Uh, sometimes we tried to make the other one look more like ourselves. Sometimes we didn't think that each other's personalities or tendencies were going to be enough for us. We had a hard time. But we've learned a lot over the course of our years together, and we've brushed off some of the rough edges. And what we've begun to see is that our differences are actually quite beautiful. Uh, turns out I'm a better accountant than he is. We're just really thankful one of us knows how to do it. Um, both of us love sports, but I've accepted the fact that I am never gonna beat him at anything, ever. We both like to read to our kids, but I'm the one who does the voices. Right? And all of this is helpful, but even more than that, I don't know if you know this or not, but he is a strong theologian. And I am really thankful for the hours and the years that he has put into studying the Word of God because he's taught me so much. I am a little bit better at discerning people in certain situations, emotional situations. Imagine that. <laughs> And so that's been really helpful for us in some family and ministry settings that we found ourselves in. He's a little bit more of a dreamer, which has been really good in stretching my faith. I'm a little more grounded, which has been really good in keeping him stationed in the season we're in. He is a leader that can be trusted, and that has been a game changer for me. And I, I really love Halloween. <laughs> And that has been a massive game changer for him. <laughs> so, so you can probably get the idea. Our differences could have driven us apart. Our differences could have separated us, but instead the exact opposite has happened. Our differences are what have brought us together. Because what I've realized is that our gifts were not given to us for us. They were given to us for us. And everything about me that is different is something that I can bless him with and vice versa. And this is true from a film set to a family. Celebrating diversity ultimately leads to unity. And the same can be said for the church as well. Now, there are several images that we get in scripture of the church, but perhaps one of the quickest to come to mind is Paul's metaphor of the body in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I know for a fact that this is the quickest to come to mind because both Damien and Randy have used 1 Corinthians 12 in their chapel sermons, even though it was my text all along. Um, but it's fine. I'm, I'm fine. Um, so would you go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12 for the third time this semester? <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're fine. Um, I do want to thank Ellie and Preci and Mr. Stanley for sharing that beautiful prayer from 1 Corinthians 12. 
They highlighted some of the most beautiful parts of this passage, parts that we're quite familiar with, but I want to start by backing up a little bit and getting a run at the context, if we could. So, at the beginning of this section of Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he makes a connection between the diversity of the Godhead and the diversity of gifts or manifestations of the Holy Spirit that's given to the church. And so starting in verse four, we see different gifts, same spirit, different service, same Lord, different working, same God. And so even though the theology of a Trinity came a long time later, clearly Paul understands that there are three intricate and unique beings. And in the same way, the different giftings of the spirit, wisdom, knowledge, faith, prophecy, tongues, interpretation, etc., are vast and specialized. So great comparison But why is Paul addressing this issue of gifts here? I mean, is is there a problem? Well, it would appear so. Some of the Corinthian believers were placing an inordinate emphasis on some of the more showy gifts. And this was causing disruption in the worship gatherings. And so Paul sees this as such an important issue to be discussed, he actually utilizes three chapters to do so. This is not just a problem. They've completely missed the point. Because the gift of these diverse gifts is not the gifts themselves, but it's the purpose on the other side of putting them into practice. See, if you look back at verse four, you see, yes, the members of the Godhead are diverse, but they're also one. Same spirit, same Lord, same God. And the beauty of the diversity of spiritual gifts is that they bring about unity. It's right there in verse seven. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So 1 Corinthians 12 opens by making this big statement that the church's unity hinges on its diversity. But in the Corinthian culture, and if we're being honest in our own as well, too much interest has been paid to understanding the ins and outs of each gifting, or worse, understanding the significance and order of the gifts. So how do we celebrate our diversity and reclaim the unity that's being offered to us. Well, Paul offers, I think, three points of instruction that kind of helps us with this. And what he says here is just as applicable to our body today as it was to the first century church. If you want to achieve unity, then play your role, honor others in their role, and recognize each role for what it really is. So first of all, play your role. Take a look at verse 12. Just as the body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Skip to 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, well, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. So the first issue standing between our diversity and our unity is that we make these ridiculous assumptions about our rights and our freedoms in the body of Christ. Paul says you can't just say, I want this role or I'm out. I want that role or I quit. It's like we've got it in our heads that to actually achieve unity, everything has to be uniform. It all has to be the same. It all has to be fair. But uniformity makes zero sense here. 
There is a necessity to our diversity. I mean, we have this phrase that we say, I'm all ears, but honestly, what good would that do anyone? And we can't all be the arms of the body. How utterly freakish would that be? Besides, Terry Boland has the arms on lock. Yeah. So move on, kids. Find another body part. <laughs> Just as God has arranged the body to be an interdependent organism in which diversity is essential, so too has he gifted the church. Think back to those film credits for just a minute. I mean, some might actually read the beginning of the credits because they want to see names like Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher and Mark Hamill, you know, for some nostalgia. But what about all the other names? If we didn't have the master costumers, we wouldn't have our beloved Chewbacca. If we didn't have the special effects artists, our, our general Organa would not even have been in the last film. These gifts and talents required to bring something like this together are so vast and so diverse and so absolutely vital to the magnetism of this fi film that we quickly realized not one role can be left abandoned. Or consider our latest production here at Ozark, Elf the Musical. Now this photo is a picture of the cast of Elf. These are all of the actors and actresses that you would have seen on stage had you come to the show. Hm. Now one might think, one might think that because those are the people you saw, then this picture captures the entire production of Elf, but you would be incredibly wrong. Now this second picture does a little better job, but even it is incomplete. Because we had a drama director, and a vocal director, and an accompanist, and a choreographer, and a costumer, and a set designer, a carpenter, multiple painters, sound technicians, light technicians, stage managers, backstage crew members who spun sets, hung flats, set up, and tore down props, and a physical plant department who made our sleigh fly. We've got to realize that just because we cannot see the lungs, or we cannot see the heart, they are still absolutely essential parts of the body. And just because you couldn't see some of these crew members, during the show, man, if we wouldn't have had them, it would have been pointless to do the production at all. So play your role, because every role matters. And if you're unsure what your role is, or you're looking at this list and nothing feels particularly familiar, would you just remember that this list starting in verse eight, just like those found in Romans 12 and Ephesians four, these are not meant to serve as an exhaustive list of spirit-filled manifestations. This is just a representation of the diversity of the Holy Spirit. If you walk with the Spirit, you will be filled with the Spirit. So just be ready and play your role because God has placed each role in the body just as he wants them to be. Here's his second point of instruction. Honor others in their role. Take a look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think that are less honorable, we treat with special honor. In the context of Corinth, it seems that there are some in the body who fancy themselves as maybe more strong or more knowledgeable, and they've exalted themselves above others that they have deemed as weak or disposable. But Paul warns them saying, the members of the body that seem to you to be weaker are actually quite integral to the life of the community. And to diminish anyone's spirit-given giftedness is to produce your own detriment. 
I like the way that historian and theologian Kenneth Bailey argues this point. He says, the primary sin here is actually not pride. It's self-sufficiency. He says, the root of the disintegration of the church is not, I am better than you. It's, I don't need you. No. Every role must be played because every role matters. Every role And we need to be very sure that we understand something here. The possession of any particular gift is not a matter of merit or worthiness. Every gift is given by the sheer free grace of God. So if you do happen to find yourself in a position of leadership, then lead with honor. And you can lead with honor by first celebrating the variety of gifts that have been given to the church, and secondly, adopt an attitude of humility both in the way you see yourself and in the way you treat others. For example, if you are a youth minister and you happen to be taking 150 kids to a MOVE conference and you find yourself on a bus with all of your uh, health forms in your hand in alphabetical order and the bus driver has already been paid and every single student has everything that they could possibly need for the trip and all of your leaders have had their degrip material for a month, would you just stop and recognize This is not magic. You either have an admin or an intern that's making you look real good in front of 300 parents. So honor them. And when I say honor them, what I mean is, if you don't know your admin's favorite restaurant and have a stash of gift cards readily available to give him or her at any moment, fix that. When you are an executive pastor, and you have the opportunity to stand up on a Sunday morning in front of the congregation after a big Halloween or Christmas event where multiple kids and families have been served at your church, by all means, proudly declare all the numbers of those who were in attendance, first-time connections, and bags of candy that were passed out. But would you also recognize that you have a Kidman staff who are massively sleep-deprived, malnourished, and probably underpaid? And in all of their blessing of other families, they haven't actually seen their own in three weeks. So would you do something about that? Honor them. And when you are said children's minister, and you've just wrapped up vacation Bible school with a program on Saturday night, a program that involved slime and confetti cannons and a whole lot of snotty kids with sticky hands touching everything, and when you are approached at 10 p.m. by the custodian who tells you to go home and get your rest because you're gonna need to come back tomorrow morning and do it all again, First, I just want you to know it's completely appropriate to cry and then hug them and then go home and rest because they legitimately want that for you. But then tomorrow morning you will come back and you will slay, all the while honoring those who support you in your role as they play their role and we work together to move the kingdom forward. And when you are a member of the body of Christ, any member at all, Would you please heed chapter 12, verse 26? If any member suffers, the whole body suffers, and if any member is honored, rejoice together. You know, we're all right at the second one. Like when somebody becomes engaged or announces a pregnancy, we rejoice. When someone publishes a book or is recognized for longevity of service, we rejoice. We celebrate birthdays and anniversaries and new jobs and retirement from jobs, and all of that is from the Lord. But... Paul reminds us here that we need to be equally prepared to grieve with, provide for, come alongside, cook for, and sit with our brothers and sisters who are suffering. And I get it. This is going to be some of the hardest work you ever do. 
And yes, compassion fatigue is a real thing. But Paul is not asking, I am not asking, Jesus Christ himself is not asking you to perform this ministry out of your own strength. There is a reason why this is placed right in the middle of a conversation about the gifts given by the Holy Spirit. Our God is a God who rejoices and our God is a God who weeps. And so if we are truly going to see one another, if we are going to value one another, and if we are going to honor one another as members of the same body, then that means we care for one another in the ups and the downs, Monday through Saturday, no matter what your role is on Sunday. Too many times, positions in the church have caused dissension in the church. So let's work to overcome this obstacle. Let's recognize the beauty and the necessity of the gift, these gifts of the Spirit, and let's honor one another as we play our roles. Now, before I move to Paul's third piece of instruction, I do want to say one more thing in terms of honoring one another. I'm gonna be really honest with you, this is not explicitly stated in the text. But I think the emphasis on guarding against diminishing one another means that this is implied. Because sometimes we diminish people because of their roles, but sometimes we diminish people. And what I've started to notice is that typically the people we diminish are the people that are playing the same role as us. It's just good old fashioned jealousy as old as Cain and Abel, and it's gotta stop. This is not band class, where there's only one spot for first chair. This is not your sports team, where only one person's going to get team captain. No, in the body of Christ, the only thing better than one strong arm is two strong arms. And I don't know what it is, but too many times we've let our competitive natures get at the best of us, and we think that someone else's strength requires our weakness, as if we're somehow going to suck the Holy Spirit dry. No. Man, if we're, if we're going to have unity, we've got to recognize that there is enough supernatural strength to go around. And praying for one another's success in ministry is not a threat to our own. So I'm going to say it again, church. Singular focus destroys unity. So let's commit. Let's commit to honoring one another in the roles we play, and let's commit to creating a mosaic rather than a monstrosity. Amen? Amen. Okay. So third bit, third, third bit of instruction. Recognize all roles for what they really are. You know, as a society, we've become deeply concerned with self-love. Understanding me, living for me, getting up and hitting the hustle juice for my success, being the best me I can be, because I mean, come on, how am I supposed to go out and love other people if I don't know how to love myself, right? And so we punch in all the answers and we live for the assessment. Tell me all my numbers and all my colors and all my letters. And all of this is okay to a point. The problem is, is that then we turn around and we do it with the gifts of the Holy Spirit as well. I am an evangelist, I am a teacher, I have been gifted with wisdom, discernment, knowledge, etc. But Paul wants to remind us here, and several other places, that these are not simple natural capacities or talents for which we can claim credit or take any kind of personal pride. Now, these manifestations have a common source and a common aim. The source is the spirit of the living God, and the aim is the building up of the body of Christ. And friends, can we just take note? 
Neither of these have the words me or I anywhere in them. 1 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says it pretty clearly. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did in fact receive it, then why do you boast as though it were not a gift graciously given to you? So recognize these rules for what they really are. Recognize each one as an opportunity to serve, period. Here at Ozark Christian College, we have a mission statement. You've probably seen it posted a place or two. And this mission statement is not, we train men and women to be fully equipped to handle any master's programs or even PhD work that they may engage in their future endeavors. No. Although we do have a lot who continue their education, and you know what? Some of them come back and say they were better equipped than most of their classmates, which is really great. Our mission statement is not, we train men and women to be high-level worship leaders that cut albums, perform nationwide, and can be found now on Apple Music and Spotify. Nope. But we do that too, and it's awesome for the body of Christ. Our mission statement's not even, we train men and women to be accurate and effective communicators of the gospel, but that's certainly part of the goal, and I think it's happening. No, since 1942, the mission of Ozark Christian College has remained the same. We train men and women for Christian service. And this is why our founding dean, Seth Wilson, could be seen out in the snow scraping the ice off the windows of his faculty's cars. This is why past president Don Earl Boatman was known as part-time president and part-time campus plumber. And this is why our current leader makes stately addresses as President Proctor Monday through Friday, but teaches children's church as Mr. Fun on the weekends. (laughs) And this is why you, will preach the lights out on a Sunday morning and you will stack chairs on Sunday afternoon. This is why you will lead your students to the throne of Christ on Wednesday night and you will change diapers for mom's connection on Thursday morning. This is why you will shake hands with millionaires and you will hold the hands of the destitute. Because the spirit of the one true God has given us good gifts. They are exciting gifts, but If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship so that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and it's kind does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. You know the funny thing about 1 Corinthians 13? It comes right after 1 Corinthians 12. (laughs) And the poetic nature of this passage has led to it becoming labeled as a wedding text. I think thinking that it's somewhat abstract or that it's all about feelings, But man, I'm pretty sure the Apostle Paul would wince at that definition. Because love is not ethereal to Paul, it's concrete. Love is not an idea, it's an action. 
Love is the Lord Jesus Christ choosing to put on flesh and come and die for the sins of the world. And love is 100% an essential ingredient in the manifestation of every spiritual gift we've been given. So sure, you can have it read at your wedding if you want to. We did, it's okay. But when it's read, would you just take a moment to recognize that while this passage was written for a bride, it's not you, it's you. It's the communal bride of Christ. You know, Michael and I, we're still really different. <laughs> a couple summers ago, we were with a worship leader that both of us had served with at different MOVE conferences. And this worship leader came up to us and he said, what's it like? What's it like to be a DeFazio? Do you guys just like sit around your dinner table at night and discuss the finer points of the life of Hezekiah? To which I quickly said, ew, no. And Michael simultaneously said, no, but that would be awesome. <laughs> but you know what, it's okay. Because this works. And most of the time, not all the time, most of the time, it works pretty well. Because we respect one another. And because we love watching how the Spirit has gifted each other because we're happy to play the role that we've been called to, but we're also happy to pick up any role that is placed in our path. And that's the goal, church. That's the goal. Play your role, honor others in their role, and recognize these roles for what they really are, an opportunity to serve and to love and to move the kingdom forward. And so the next time you have a chance, I wanna encourage you to read the credits to the end of the film to scour the acknowledgments on the front page of your favorite book, and to read your playbill cover to cover. Because this will train your eye and tune your heart to recognize the diverse giftings from the Holy Spirit, and you will be thankful. Celebrate every gift. Because celebrating diversity will ultimately lead to our unity.